we need help from the Lord. We are going to be talking from Genesis chapter 5, as previously stated. And so if you go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, there. And uh, I want to, before I pray, just kind of give a general outline. When we talk about genealogy, uh, we get into scriptures that many of us just skip over. You ever been there? You're reading through your Bible yearly, you get to a genealogy, and it's, and he begat him, and begat him, begat him, uh, and they live 600 and blah, blah, blah years, and you just like, okay, when's this end, and I'll just move to the next chapter. And the task set before me this morning is to turn our eyes together and our hearts to this passage, see what God would have us to know about genealogies. What would God have us to know that would be helpful for us today? Because we don't want to just get here and get a bunch of information and just hear some facts. We want things that are transformative. And so we're hopeful that the Holy Spirit will come and bring transformation to us as we lay our eyes and our hearts on this passage. But I want to give uh, quickly the outline, uh, and then we'll, we'll get right into it. Uh, so first, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, um, the implications of a genealogy. We're just going to look at two implications of a genealogy. And then, a real simple format, then we're going to look at this. What does genealogy mean for us? So two implications, but then we're going to kind of unpack those a little bit more and specifically dive into uh, two keys two keys within this specific genealogy for us. So what does it mean for us? Implications of genealogies in general, and then what are two specific things within this particular genealogy that are going to be keys for us and helpful for us as we move forward uh, leaving here today. So that's, that's the task set before me. So uh, Genesis chapter 5, the title of the sermon is simply just Generations. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, uh, help me this morning. Uh, we come vulnerable and yet confident, humble by your grace and bold, with no authority in ourselves, but with the authority of you. And so with all those different paradoxes, help us, Holy Spirit, we want to be changed, continue to be changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Help us this morning. And there's so much to celebrate, so much to be thankful for, and help us as we're looking into these genealogies. We look into this, the grand narrative of, of how you are able to keep your promises from one generation to the next. We can't even make our kids obey, and yet somehow you have promises and you have purposes that are woven throughout, in and out, sinful, wicked, and godly generations. And we just, uh, we just stand in awe. Help us to see just the grandeur of what is you at work through the generations. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uh, we're a generation that's obsessed with now. Um, we love the speed of internet. If you have dial-up, uh, you're in the Stone Ages and you hate it. Uh, you want faster internet. You want faster downloads. You want a phone that gets you that Google answer. Uh, who did Rocky fight in Rocky Three? Was it the Russian or was it Mr. T? Uh, I've got to figure it out. Okay, it was Mr. T. Correct. It's Mr. T. It was a good one. I thought that was a little bit better than than Rocky Four. But we love being able to fact check. We love being able to text message. We love being able to prove others wrong, prove ourselves right around the Thanksgiving dinner table. Uh, no, that was Saved by the Bell season five. <laughs> Things like that. We're obsessed with now. Uh, and in fact, we've, we've kind of, in a lot of ways, been so wired, hardwired to, to be obsessed with the now that we've forgotten anything of multi-generational planning, multi-generational purposes, uh, anything like that. We're so obsessed with now that we just, we can't see anything that's before us. In fact, 57%, according to one poll that I read, 57% of millennials uh, have not saved a single dime for their retirement. And if you haven't, by the way, go see Russ. There's a plug. Uh, start a Roth IRA or something. Um, 
And, and so there is this obsession with now, what's popular now, what's the popular music for now. Uh, music has staying power. The one-hit wonder has a staying power for just a few months at a time, and then it's on to the next terrible song that people like for just a few months. Um, and the irony of all this, though, is that poll after poll shows that we who are obsessed with instant gratification are not actually getting the gratification that we so long for and that we live for. This is the irony. We're obsessed with the now, but we can't even enjoy the now. I did a random Google search on inability to enjoy the moment, and 39,300,000 articles came up in like .0004 seconds because the internet is that fast. We are obsessed with now, but can't enjoy the now. We can't even enjoy the moment. We're living for moments that do not gratify, calling it instant gratification. So there's this predicament that the lost world is in, and it sometimes we as believers, as spirit-filled, loving Jesus, converted people step into, we step, step into this, this matrix reality as well, where we're trying to live for things that simply have a shelf life of enjoyment. And so we're all in knots, twisted in knots. According to the Harris Poll, recent Harris Poll, only one in three Americans would define themselves as being very happy. One in three. And then typically in polls, when you're doing a poll, the numbers are always uh, like infatuated to the good because nobody wants to, to be brutally honest, even on a phone call. And so only one in three percent of people would define themselves as very happy. So we have these two problems that, that, fa that face us this morning. It even come, it's not just out there, but come bombarding against us in, in the church. We have short-term problems and we have long-term problems. Okay? We have momentary issues where we can't enjoy the moment, or we're living for the moments that we can't enjoy, and we have these long-term problems of not being able to see past our own generation. You know, historically, and even in the Amish community still to this day, Amish, the Amish community is as peculiar and interesting as they are. They have multi-generational ideas of living. So one generation passed down the trades of the father to the next generation. So the sons and fathers work next to each other. And some of you might think, well, that would be horrible. But if you consider the beauty of that, of sons and fathers working together, you think, man, you know what? They're not as crazy as maybe we are. We're all trying to forge our own way one generation to the next. And the Amish are over here doing their task, doing their trades, and their sons are learning how to make cabinets just like their fathers did. Their, their daughters are learning to work in the home just like their mothers did. Now, certainly there's oddities about that. Um, and yet, I'm hoping, well... I was going to say a derogatory thing about deodorant, but I won't. So, and then I said it. Um, but there's so much to admire within that community. We, in large part, in a society, have lost that. Uh, so much, though, it seems almost oppressive to uh, put on a son or a daughter that they would do the things that you did in your life. It's just expected. Well, they, they forge their own way. So there's this loss of big picture stuff. So enter God. How does God's eternality that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 5 help us in this modern predicament? How does God's eternality help you in your modern predicament? In your day-to-day -day struggle to either enjoy the moment or to think past the moment? Great question. Thank you. I hope I have an answer for you. Look at verse, chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. 
When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and named him Seth. Actually, we'll stop there. If you'll notice, the very first part, we see that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. We've heard this, the Imago Dei. Humans are created in God's image. Male and female, he created them, uh, and we are created in the very God of the universe's image. There's three main implications, going back and stealing from a sermon preached about two months ago. Uh, three main implications of being created in the image of God is, one, that humans are like their creator in the sense that they were created to rule the earth. They were image bearers, and they would have responsibility and dominion over creation. So God created all things and said, here, it's yours as a gift, have dominion and rule and reign. Secondly, God created not just an asexual human, He created humans in His image, both as male and female. So we are not just some mass blob of humanness here. We're something so much more special, so much more unique. We are both masculine and feminine, both male and female. And that being by design. So the male-female relationship in marriage in particular would represent the image of a functioning community. Marriage would contain love and giving of self to each other. And then the third way that we would, we would communicate God's image would be the ability to, as human beings, made in the image of God, we have the ability to reason, we understand morality, intrinsic within us, that there are some things right and there are some things wrong. We are, have the ability to communicate. The Lord spoke, and by God's grace, He's given us the ability to speak. Our words certainly are different. But we have that ability, and then we are able to create out of things that are already created. So many of you creatives out there, that's evidence that we are in fact created in the image of God. So we have humans made in God's image, and we still are image bearers. That's why we fight for things like life. We fight against abortion because we value humanity. We say that there is intrinsically a value and a dignity and worth to being human that's far different and far separate from anything else in all the world. Even your favorite animal, your favorite dog, or your favorite cat, whatever it may be, there is a value and dignity upon humanity that is far greater. So we fight for life. We are for pro-life. But then verse 3 makes a shift and it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. And this is profoundly important for us to understand. That from Adam, even though he did not, when he sinned against God, physically die on the day that he sinned, he spiritually died. And this is the irony of us image bearers now. We are image bearers of God who are born into this world spiritually dead. We don't have a spiritual pulse. We have a self-pulse. We have the ability to, to reason. We have the ability to communicate. We have these abilities still intact. We have the ability in, to, to so small degrees to rule and reign over things that are around us. However, we are born now spiritually dead in the image of our father, Adam. And we needed that to change. And fortunately, Christ came. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. But since Seth, since Adam's lineage down from him, we are in this, we are all born in the image now of Adam. And so there's this, from the beginning, from a little boy and a little girl, you can see this, and we all, as parents, realize this. There's a time in our children's life where they discover the word no. And there's also a time in our children's lives when they think they're stronger than us and they're only toddlers. There's a time when they think that they can overpower us by their cuteness, by their what, and almost, but by their reasoning abilities, and we know exactly what they're doing. Okay? Ransom, did you fill in the blank? No. 
Nope, sure didn't. The evidence is right before us. And somehow or another, he thinks he can reason himself out of that. The irony and the comedy in that. So we are born in the father of our Adam. So there's this profound need, and we see it all over the world. And this uh, marks the reason why there is so much confusion about both the now and the future. Why, do, why does the world live for the moment? Well, they're spiritually dead. They think that next moment is going to satisfy them. Why is there inability to think for the future? Because there's an inability because they're spiritually dead. They're not spiritually discerned. And this is what you and I were before we were brought to life by the God of the universe. So we have this profound problem. And then the generations continue. It says in verse 4, The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now you see that number and you, you wonder, you know, you, you look at uh, university or you look at, uh, you know, modern science and you have all these questions about life and how can life uh, be in, expanded to 930 years. Methuselah was 969, the second oldest man in the Bible, great man, wonderful name with a beautiful name. Uh, his name was Jared and uh, uh, masculine, rough man. He fathered uh, Enoch who walked with God and... Um, but Jared lived 965 years, or 67, one of the two. We'll see here in just a minute. I forget. Um, but we wonder, okay, the lifespan, that, that's odd. Well, a couple things. We don't need to get into real detail about this, but a couple things. Before the fall, uh, the, the environment was in such a state that life could live this long. And all we do when we look at this, we, we, we have our lenses of modern uh, everything in front of us, and we look at things like this in the Bible, and we wonder, how, how could this be? How could this be? Um, and like I said on the sermon that I preached about creation, if you were alive on day seven, excuse me, day eight, and you were to find your bump, bump into Adam and Eve, and you were to ask them, hey, how did all this come to be? Okay, They would tell you, well, you know what? Just a few days ago, God created us. He created everything, all the world. And then the scientist showed up on day eight, and you bumped into him as well, and you said, hey, how, how did all this happen? You have two interpretations. The scientists would say, well, you see all this? See this ravine? See these mountains? How those mountains come into play is it takes millions and millions of years for these tectonic plates to push together and for the ice age and the caps to come down and make the plains and then push the mountains up. And there would be evidence all around them and the evidence would be interpreted in different ways. Okay? So I think it's, it's wise for us on matters like this to just go with it. Well, how did Jonah, how did he get and fit into a belly of a fish or a whale? Well, if God spoke a whole world into being, he can certainly appoint a fish to swallow a man, correct? Like we, we somehow become radically supernatural, radically, excuse me, naturalist when it comes to after accepting God can create all things uh, and he can speak out of nothing, something, we start to become naturalist and then try to explain everything in natural ways. Uh, you know what? God's word says it and so I think it's faithful for us to simply believe it. Not ignorantly believe it, but to believe what God says even though there may be some confusing things there. So here is Adam who lived 950 years, 930 years. I think um, for us, it begins to blow our mind a little bit because uh, we know the distance of the life that we've lived. And for some of us, as you get older, it feels like you know, life just flies by. And there's a reason for that. When you're 30, one year of your life is one thirtieth of your, of your life. When you're 60, one year of your life is one sixtieth of your life. So a 60th of something is going to feel shorter than a 30th of something. When you were young, do you remember thinking like uh, you're going to go to a base, your parents said, we're going to go somewhere, 
baseball game or something, and they said, hey, it's going to be 45 minutes before we can go. And I can remember, before we talk about 930 years, I remember when there was a time when 45, year, 45 minutes felt like an eternity. I had been dressed for a baseball game for like six hours already, and 45 more minutes I've got to wait felt just so long. It just felt forever when you're a kid. It just, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do for 45 minutes? And it finally comes. And then you get older a little bit, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's almost 2017. And how's my son two years old? Or if you're a little bit older, how's my son or daughter 30 years old? Or how, how did this happen? Where did all the years go? And, and so we, we know our lifespan, but when they th- start to think about 930 years, it seems pretty overwhelming. And then when we consider that we cannot, we can't extend our purposes into our one generation forward, we start to think about the generation after generation after generation, and we start to say, man, how could anybody have purposes that go from 930 years when I can't even get my purposes into the year that's in front of me? You ever tried to plan a year? How's that go? Have you ever tried to have your kids do some certain thing and they just don't do it? Have you ever prayed for the generations in front of you? And, and all the variables that, ha- that, that are in play, it seems overwhelming. I can't get my, you know, fill in the blank. If you have older kids, how many, you, you may be praying for an older kid just to know Jesus still. Or you may be looking at your kid and saying, God, I, lo- God, I know that I love him, he's my DNA, but he's an idiot. There's the array of Boehm, you know? And so, when we talk about the span of years, it can be difficult for us to think about, hard for us to imagine, but I think there are two things for us. I'm going to read through this whole genealogy and just stick with me. Don't fall asleep. I was reading in Acts this week. I'm reading through Acts right now and, and just read about uh, the young man who fell asleep at Paul's preaching. So, if you do, it's biblical, but please don't. <laughs> I'm going to read through this, and then I want to get to our two main implications before we get to our two main uh, kind of teaching points. So kind of two and two will be the points from here on out. Uh, the first one is going to be God is at work. He has the ability to carry his purposes through generations. Okay, that's number one. And second is that we are not God. Okay, so let's, let's read this starting verse six. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Kenan, not Kenan and Cal, sorry. Uh, Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Kenan lived and fathered Mahalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. And Mahalel lived and he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enosh. Jared lived and he fathered Enosh 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh, Enoch 
were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Lamech? Oh gosh, pronounce that for me, Kurt. Lamech. Lamech, okay, thank you. Methuselah lived, fathered Lamech. 782 years, and he had sons and daughters. Thus all the days of the Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the Lord, out of the ground the Lord had cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, first implication is that God is at work. He has the ability to carry His purposes through generations. Um, many of us have, func- have, have adopted a wrong view of the world that we can entitle functional deism. When we look at the world and we don't understand why things are the way they are, we don't understand our lives in the moment, we have a tendency, and so does the world, and so does, sadly, many average, just church-going people throughout the world, we have a tendency to drift into functional deism, adopting the idea that, okay, things are just random, God does not have really a purpose for everything, and unfortunately we start to think, you know, Satan really has more power than God in this moment. So the drift for just the modern mind, when we don't understand why things are the way they are, why things are happening a certain way or are not happening a certain way, is we drift towards chaos. And we drift towards Satan sovereignty. Have you ever been in a spot where you look out in the world, okay, think about all the, atro- like the atrocious things that have happened in our world? And we just, Jordan and I, every year we watch through the show Band of Brothers, and if you've not watched that, highly recommend it. It does have some language and blood and guts, but blood and guts, that's cool. Um, but it is very, very heavy to watch. Uh, it isn't cool in war, so I, I retract that statement. Uh, very heavy show, but there was a scene where there was a mother and either a daughter or a son, and they're driving down the road in a tank, walking by, and you could tell that this, this malnut- uh, just malnutrition, uh, mother and child, and it was heartbreaking. And I leaned over and I said, that has more effect on me now than it did two years ago. Like it has effect on my emotions when I see a child and a mother in need. And we look at that and we wonder, God, are you, if you're all powerful, why not put a buffet of food right in front of them? Like why is the things the way they are? And then we jump, jump to conclusions that are unhelpful. Or we look at uh, things the way they are in, you know, the Twitter sphere. Uh, if Hillary would have been elected, uh, people say we're going to war with Russia. Now Trump's elected, and uh, you know everybody's mad or freaking out, or other people are celebratory or whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Um, and we look at just the chaos that was the election season, and we wonder, like, God, are you doing anything? Even those who would affirm God's sovereignty in those moments, God. Really? Is this just, just happened? How about when somebody gets sick? How about when somebody dies? Eh, sometimes things just happen. We drift towards deism. Well, the truth of a genealogy like this is that God's purposes continue as generations come and as generations go. We just spoke of 
year upon year upon year, generation after generation. And you think about moment by moment where you feel like God is inactive. And here we see a God who has purposes that just weave a tapestry that's just so perfect. It's just going through. I don't even know if a ta- tapestry is lineal, uh, linear, but we'll just say it is. From one generation, there's hundreds of years of what feel like just it would have could have easily felt like God is doing nothing, that he's just passively sitting by. And here is God at work from 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, up to 900 years, from one generation to the next. How powerful is God that he can have purposes woven in from generation to generation like that? How does he do it? He is powerful and he is good. So God is at work through the generations. The second point I want to make is that, uh, that we are not God. And on the backdrop of understanding God being in charge and having a plan with each of these generations and purposes that go through the millennium, we are face to face with the truth that we are not like that. Jen Wilkin in her book, None Like Him, the ladies just went through this, just a fantastic book. She said this, the Bible begins with a time stamp in the beginning End quote. And then spend 66 books describing the God who decrees seasons and times, but is not bound by them in the least. He's free to act within time as he wills. He exists outside of it. He is simultaneously the God of the past, the present, and the future, bending time to his perfect will and fettered by its constraints. The past holds for him no missed opportunity. The present holds for him no anxiety. And the future holds for him no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come. Let me ask you this. Does the past hold for you any missed opportunities? Oh, man. Missed opportunities. Failures. Sin. I'm so thankful for God's work in my life, but as I look back, I have done some dumb things. And you know what? In 10 years from now, I'm going to look back, Jared, at 33. I'll be 43 and way wiser by then. And... I'll look back and think, oh my goodness, I was dumb. Can anybody in here look at you 10 years ago and think like, (laughs) right, okay. Hopefully we're in a similar boat, if not the same boat. How about this, the present holds for him no anxiety. Is there anything in your present that qualifies as something you could be anxious about? think so. How about this? Anything in the future to worry about or that is uncertain? Anybody know exactly what tomorrow is going to hold? Who would dare to say, I know exactly what tomorrow holds? No one. We are not God. Puts us in a posture of dependence. I'm not independent. I can't control tomorrow and yet God somehow controls the millennium. We are different. So what does genealogy, this genealogy, mean for us? And I want to look at two keys in particular. Just hang with me for a couple minutes. Two keys within this genealogy. Number one is that God is sovereign, and we're going to define what I mean by that, because that's a word we throw around a lot. And what does it mean? And two, I want to call us to walk with God, and I want to define what walking with God is. Okay? So first, God is sovereign. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. God has purposes with every millisecond over the entire earth and all of the universe. He owns everything that is. Everything that you see, God's. From every atom 
and molecule and amoeba, (laughs) everything that you do not see, to every plant and animal and person. He provides food for all and appoints a time of life and death for every living thing. October 24th, 1983 was God's design for me to come into the world. And your birth date was by design by God. And your death date, nothing can happen to you until that date that will kill you. And there's nothing that you can do to prevent that date from coming. And as certainly as God was in charge of your birth date, He is in charge of your death date. He is the determiner of our dwelling places and the ruler of our rulers. The world has had its Fidel Castros, and with every tyrant, every single one of them, they will tremble in fear before the God who judges. Those who call themselves powerful will melt in fear and trembling. They will be there, and they will be completely undone, and they will meet their eternal doom of eternal torment. God is the one who decrees all things, even decreeing to allow demonic evil and suffering, yet governing them to work for His purposes so not to allow Satan victory or chance to rule. Let me say that again. God is the one who decrees all things, even decreeing to allow demonic evil and suffering yet governing them to work for His purposes, so not to allow Satan victory or chance chance to rule. All things that seem to us to be random and purposeless are in fact signs, not of God's inactivity, but of our limitations and inability to understand. We look, and our palms sweat, and our hands shake, and our heart beats, and we wonder why it's pointing us to our limitations. We see evil suffering. God sees it more. He is not passively sitting by. His wrath is building and it will be poured out on every evildoer that is not found in Christ. That rage that bellows up inside of you when you see injustice in the world, God sees it more. He doesn't see just the external action. He sees the internal motivation and His wrath and fury is coming to judge that internal motivation and external action. There is not one sin that's ever been committed that God has been passive about. God owns the generations and He is the one in charge of this very moment. Yet it's not only this moment, He's in charge of everything in the past and everything that will ever be in the future. He works all things to the counsel of His will. He is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And it pleased Him to send His Son to live a perfect life in the place of sinners who ironically thought they were God and didn't have any need of Him. And He died in their place. He raised from the grave, and He secured a place for sinners at the banquet table of a heavenly Father. He saved you and declares to you, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's it's God who justifies. Who can condemn? And if... God is sovereign like that. There's a whole lot of therefores for you. Because this genealogy shows up a God who is in charge of the generations. 
past, present, future purposes and promises that go beyond this particular moment. A couple therefores. Therefore what? Let's enjoy the moment. How about that? When I was a little boy, I used to dream about wolves all the time. And a wolf was outside and it was fighting in my dream, my dog Ginger, and killing her. So I got up and ran. And when I was running to my parents' room, I thought I saw a dog chasing me. And I was running through the house screaming. If you would have saw it, it would have been a honey, uh, uh, funniest home videos. It was just, ah! I thought there was a dog. And I get in my room around my parents. And you know what? When I'm around my parents, my dad's not scared of dogs. Peace. And if God is those things and He's for you, there's... Like I said, infinite therefores. How about enjoying the moment? You don't have to be afraid about yesterday or to tomorrow. You can be here now. You are in His hands. Each moment is God's gift to you. Every single day you have moments to smile. We'll get precious memories, precious moments here for a second after talking about God's sovereignty. There's moments to smile big, cry hard, laugh well, and whatever the moment requires, you are free because God is who He is to be here in the moment and actually enjoy it without buying the lie of instant gratification. If you know Him, you are now freed up to enjoy things that everybody else idolizes. You can be all here in the moment because God is everywhere and is eternal. Second, your life is bigger than you. God's purposes span beyond your generation and before your generation. We can have a multi-generational perspective. God does. You realize that He had purposes with last generation, just like He had purposes with David? He has purposes with you, and you know what? He's going to have purposes with the next generation. And the next one, however long it may be before God returns, before Jesus returns. You are a part of a story larger than you. And so we can escape from just being trapped in the moment thinking about us because now God has called us into something that is rooted deeply in the history of creation, all the way back to the history of creation, and it goes all the way into the future, on and on and on, and we're caught up into this story that's bigger than us. We have got to get over ourselves and bask in the glory of God. His purposes are why we exist. His purposes are why we breathe. So the first one, first key to this passage, to this genealogy is that God is sovereign. The second key is, like Enoch, let us walk with God. Look at verse 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. And he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons, daughters. So all the days of Enoch's life were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not what does it mean to walk with God? Hebrews 11.5 talks of Enoch. And it says that Enoch had faith. Hebrews 11 is all about the Hebrews' hall of faith, those who looked forward to a coming Messiah, who had faith in Christ, though Christ had not yet revealed Himself fully. Here's what Hebrews 11.5 says about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Enoch had faith in the coming Messiah. We don't get descriptors of what it means to walk with God, but we get descriptors of what was in Enoch by God's grace, and that was faith in Christ. And I think we can put two, two, two and two together and we can start to get a somewhat robust understanding of what it means to walk with God. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. I want by God's grace for us to walk with God. Turn here. This will be our last passage. 
Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Andy, you can go ahead and come up. So to go through these points again, just to, to hammer them in our brains. Number one, God is at work. He has the ability to carry His purposes through generations. Two, we are not God. Two keys within this genealogy is number one, God is sovereign. And number two, we are to walk with God. Enoch lived by faith in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 6 says something of walking with God. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Catch that? As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Talk about a key to simplicity. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Think back. How do you receive Him now? By a turning from yourself, God, I'm not like you. Repent. I've sinned against you. And I turn toward Christ. I trust in you by faith. That's how we see, receive Christ Jesus, Lord. You know how you walk in Him? Cultivating a daily experience as the Holy Spirit is leading you, turning away from yourself. God, I recognize that I am not in control today. And there are things in my life that I sin, that I need your help to get through. I need to walk in godliness today. And I'm turning from myself. And I'm turning to Christ. And I want to trust Him and love Him and place by your grace faith in Christ today. Repentance and faith. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Could it be possible that walking with God is simple as cultivating a daily trust in Jesus? A daily turning away from yourself as the Holy Spirit directs and a turning to Him and seeing the glory of our King and Savior Jesus? I think so. It doesn't have to be hard. And so my prayer this morning is that God would so work in us that we would see these multi-generational promises. The multi-generational God who is at work to bring a seed, the Messiah, through these generations. To know that He is in charge of our lives. We can trust Him. So we don't have to get trapped in the moment. We don't have to be fair to the future. And we can walk with Him in the present. Let's pray. Father God, there was a lot said. And Holy Spirit, You come and apply it in any way You see fit that is faithful to Your Word to each person in this room. Help us to walk with You. Jesus, we know that Enoch walked with God for Enoch. And Jesus, You walked with God for us. And it's only because, Jesus, You did it perfectly that we can now enter into fellowship with You. And we just thank You for that. And help us, even now as we get to sing, contemplate how big You are, how small we are, and see that You, God, in Your bigness have come to us. And help us to walk with You. And so as we received You, repent and believe, we would walk with You here even the rest of this morning. I pray that this season of thankfulness that we just celebrated, we ate to our heart's delight. I've got pecan pie that I'm going to go home and eat much of. And I'm thankful for it. God, help us to take all that aroma of thankfulness that it would just build in this room right now and we would just with one voice say, God, thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I trust that you'll lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.